Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Well, y'all, I'm excited for the preacher today. Yeah, I'm sweating and everything. I'm so excited for the preacher day. I'm excited because it's our anniversary, and this is a good brother of mine. When we started Renewal Church uh, six years ago, he started a church at the same time in Philadelphia. Um, this, this is my boy, Watson Jones. Uh, he, he pastors a church on the south side called Compassion and Baptist. He and his wife, I, I love them dearly. My wife and I are good friends with him and his wife, and y'all, he's going to preach uh, the white off the walls or whatever paint you got in your house. Um, and I'm excited to hear a word from him. Make sure you stick around after the service or at the end of the service because we got some members joining our church and I want you to meet them too. But without further ado, let me welcome Watson Jones to the stage. My brother in the ministry serves with me on many different boards and a big part of how Renewal got here. Once you just put your hands together for Watson as he comes up here. Hey, Renewal, how are you? I bid you greetings. Well, I'm, I'm here in your church's office, but I bid you greetings from the Compassion Baptist Church on the southeast side of Chicago, Illinois. I want to rush to say happy sixth birthday. That is a massive, massive milestone for you guys. Many church plants don't even make it past the first two years, and it's a joy to see. I remember your pastor, Pastor Derek, when we were sitting in Orchard Group's office in New York together, getting together and talking about how we were going to plant a church. I planted in Philadelphia. He planted here, and there's another brother who planted in Harlem, and it's a joy to see what you guys have done. In six years, by the grace of God, God God has blessed Derek and Kaylee to be a massive blessing to our city. In six years, your church has impacted Chicago on every side. Renewal is not a name that is only whispered around rooms. It is known all around the country because of the wonderful testimony of what Jesus is doing in and among you. And so I want to first thank you for letting me be here to celebrate this momentous occasion of the sixth anniversary of Renewal Church Chicago. What an amazing thing. Derek and Kaylee, you guys keep your head up. I love you dearly. And we want to just, man, I, I just want to celebrate you guys, man, for the wonderful work and the fact that God has given you six years of stand power. I look forward to 60 more. 60 more, man. That'll make you really old, but nonetheless, 60 more. Well, listen, Renewal, I come today to share the word of God. And Derek, thank you for trusting me with your people for just a few minutes. I, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and meet me in the book of First Peter. First Peter. I want you to meet me in verse 1 and verse 2. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible in case this reads differently from yours. If it does, uh, many of you probably got apps, so you can click to the next uh, translation or you can just listen as I read it. But this is what it says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. I want to speak to you from the subject today, 
foreigner in a familiar place, foreigner in a familiar place, wherever you are all over the city, dare I even say nation, I want to ask you to pray with me as we get ready to don this text. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day, this momentous occasion. Thank you, Lord God, for giving renewal six years. And I pray, God, that you would help Renewal to be a church fashioned for this season. We are in interesting times, times of racial unrest, times for social unrest, a massive historical pandemic that is unlike any other since 1918 is sweeping throughout the world. Lord, I pray that you would give them a word in this moment and in this season I pray that you speak to him. Speak clearly, speak clearly indeed. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, let these things be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' mighty and matchless name we pray this prayer. Amen. Foreigner in a familiar place. Foreigner in a familiar place. He steps off of the plane and out of the airport and suddenly he realizes he is in another world. Excitement courses through his veins because he waited so long to see this land that he had heard about. The buildings are different. The language is strange. The food portions are massive. He remembers his friend's advice to not look into the tour, not, to not look like a tourist in the big city. Someone says to him, how are you? He remembers this isn't a question. It's simply a greeting. He was thrown off by how rude and unwelcoming the cashier at the food restaurant was. He bumbles through his words as he pieces together the English that he's been studying for with Rosetta Stone for the last several months. And as he searches for a seat in a crowded restaurant, he remembers his friend's advice not to sit in a seat that in, in, an, in an occupied table that has an empty seat. Tuesdays, he was confused when in conversation with someone, they seemed uncomfortable as they took a few steps back because he kept getting a bit closer. Excitement soon turned into isolation because he was a foreigner in a strange land. The foreigner understands the presence or the pressure rather to assimilate. Everyone recognizes the difference between the foreigner and the citizen. The citizen lives uh, the citizen lives taking everything for granted, enjoying their privilege as citizens in a land. Everything they do, they are reminded as foreigners that they are not from that place. Even in our country, many live with this very fear to this day. But there is a difference between a foreigner in a strange place and a foreigner in a familiar place? What happens when you find yourself as a foreigner in a familiar place? When we park ourselves in 1 Peter, we see Peter writing to a congregation that had been extended among several places. And you see Peter writing to a group of people who happened to feel like foreigners in a place that was very much familiar to them. They found joy when they met Jesus Christ. They voiced a public, public profession that Jesus Christ is Lord and were subsequently baptized into the church. You can see the church erupting in thunderous applause and jubilation at these new converts. They were dead, but now they live. 
They were in darkness, but guess what? Now they're found. The drug dealer no longer found profit in his profits. The one who was searching for satisfaction in pleasure found it now in Christ. The one mining wisdom from the books of the Epicureans and the Sophists found it poised in the very words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can see the zeal as they learn to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand the zeal of new birth, don't we? God feels so near. Church seems so fun. Clouds seem like they're not in the sky. But every passage in the Bible at that time jumps out to you and speaks to you. It feels like something that God is tapping you on your shoulders to say hello. But suddenly their confession that they made began to rub against their citizenship. Their allegiance to Christ made them enemies in their state. Their love for people made them look peculiar in their culture. They started to lose their jobs. Families began to turn their backs on them. People attacked them while they were walking up and down the street. They started to hear rumors of deaths of other Christians. They were perplexed because they began to ask God, we trusted you, we followed you, we placed faith in you. The word of God has now caused violence to be erupted against us. Suddenly, they go to church and they hear the words of Peter. And Peter is speaking to them in this text as he wants to speak to you today to simply say this, that as the loved people of God, you and I must learn to live in the tension of a foreigner in a familiar place. Let me say that differently. As those of us who say that we have been washed in the blood of Jesus, those of us who claim that we have been born anew by the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, those of us who would say that the Holy Spirit now indwells me, we have to learn to live in the tension of being foreigners in a very familiar place. If you look around our world today, it seems like we all feel like foreigners in a familiar place. The country we thought we knew a year ago seems massively different from everything we thought we understood. We have been locked in our homes for months. We have seen racial unrest. We have seen political division. We have seen vitriol thrown from one side of the aisle to the other side of the aisle. We have seen people killed in the streets. And we suddenly are beginning to feel like foreigners in a familiar place. And this text is tailored to teach us that if we're going to live as God's beloved people in this world, we must learn to dance in the tension of being a foreigner in a familiar place. I see you raising the question, pastor, if indeed I am to live as a Christian in America, in Chicago, in the location that God has situated me in? How might I live as a foreigner in a familiar place? How do I live like I'm from here and not from here at the same time? How do I live like I have dual citizenship, one in the kingdom and one in this world? I'm glad you asked. The first thing that Peter is going to tell us is that we must learn to embrace the role as a foreigner among the familiar. That's very simple and very plain and simple. He says, I, Peter, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He writes this letter, look at what he says in verse one, to those living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They are foreign 
Peter applies Jewish language to them. These people had been exiled because of sin in the Old Testament, Jewish folks. But these folks are feeling exile and it had nothing to do with sin. He calls these Christians exiles. You know what an exile is? It's someone who's expelled from a familiar place into a foreign place. The only thing is that these were not real exiles. They were from the places that Peter is talking about. Peter references places that span from Asia Minor to modern-day Turkey. These people have become Christians. Their allegiance with Jesus began to rise higher than their allegiance to the place of their citizenship. And becoming a Christian in those days, this was a serious decision. Because you would stand up and say that Jesus is Lord. This was not something that people just shouted about in the street. This was not a tattoo of what would Jesus do that they would put on their bumper stickers or on their arms. This was a political statement. To say that Jesus was Lord meant that he died for your sins, resurrected. He was Lord and no one else was. That he was Lord even over the emperor of Rome who declared that he was Lord. This would lead some to be expelled from Rome to these random places. You can begin to imagine the joy on the hearts of these converts begins to turn sour as they begin to feel the pain of where they are. But I want you to note how he refers to them. They are foreign, but they are situated. As foreigners, they live among familiarity. They were citizens of the region, but they were treated as outsiders. This represents a people at home, but watch this, not quite at home. They are otherworldly in one sense. They, they represent a kingdom that has a very different ethic that oftentimes presents itself in a way that is at odds with the way in which our world lives. Peter uses this language for them to kind of get them to a place where they can embrace their role as a foreigner among the familiar. Hear me, friends, as the very people of God, as those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, you and I are foreigners in a familiar place. Why am I saying that? Because we have been born into a kingdom that is here, but not quite here. A kingdom that marches to a different drum. A kingdom that has a different leader named Jesus. A kingdom that has different ethics that govern it. And as people who were not snatched out of Chicago, as people who were not snatched out of whatever locale you happen to be situated in. You have been situated in a place and named by God as a foreigner in that place. And you have to learn to live as a foreigner in that place. You can understand this well. When we were younger, we were enrolled in schools. We were students at fill in the blank. I, I went to CVS on the south side of Chicago, and I am one who is very proud, and I will stand up to any Chicagoan and say it is the greatest school in the world. But while I was a cavalier at CVS, while I might have been a student there, that's not all who I was. I was also a child of my parents. And so when my parents sent me to school, they didn't care if every child in the school acted a fool. 
No, because Davina Anderson said, you are my son, and I expect when you go into this place where you take on another identity, that you live as if you're my son before you are a cavalier. There are many believers today who forget this tension that Jesus calls us into, this tension where we place priority over the kingdom realities that govern our lives, over earthly realities that govern us here. We live in these temporal realities, and we ought to live with the kingdom existing over the temporal place in which we live. But yet, many of us, we raise our earthly station up and above the identity we have in Christ. For some of us, our nationalism or our patriotism means more, if not equal, to us being Christian. To some of us, we have pledged allegiance to a, to, a, to a political party. I don't know what party, but you have pledged yourself to a political party. But here it is. If indeed we say we are Christians, then we are loyal to Jesus over and above American patriotism, over and above city loyalty over and above side of city loyalty, over and above team love, over and above political affiliations. We are citizens of the kingdom of Christ. We are foreigners in a familiar place. But guess what? As foreigners, we live by a higher set of ethics, Christ ethics, ethics not scribed by the moral majority or the liberal agenda but ethics named by Jesus. And Paul says in Colossians 3.12 that since we are to be like King Jesus, we must put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And if I were to dive a bit into some of the Old Testament prophets, I would add on to that righteousness and justice, that these are ethics that Christians ought to march by. But it's troubling when so many churches around the country right now are placing more premium on other things over the Christian ethic that you have been called to embody. You are not a Republican over Christian. You are not a Democrat over Christian. You are a Christian who is situated where you are. It means we live holy because God is holy. It means we fight we, we don't fight to gain advantage, but we throw away privilege to give others advantage. It means we don't push for the status quo where wickedness stands, but we move to break it down. We don't support lies cloaked by alternative facts. The love that was spread in our hearts by Christ Jesus is a love that is intended to pour out. This means we identify with outcasts, the least, the last, and the unlikely, the weeping, those who scream, me too, the kids at the border, the families of the Jewish folks in Pittsburgh, the two black people at Kroger's who were killed, Laquan, Trayvon, Eric Gardner, Tamir, Brianna Taylor. Means if we indeed say we name the name of Jesus Christ, we identify with the lowly Savior Jesus who was born in a manger in the ghettos of Nazareth, not in the bustling hills of whatever rich suburb we want to name. Why do we do these things? Because we are exiles living in a place. We are from a kingdom that is not situated on this earth. It is otherworldly altogether. We are here. 
We are not grabbing to control. Rather, we are embracing the life as a foreigner. It means Christ's kingdom always, always, always takes precedence and priority over our earthly station. We've got to learn to embrace the role of foreigner in a familiar place. But, but let me hasten on. Peter is saying, in order to live in this tension, not only do we embrace that role, but watch this. He tells us that we need to learn to embrace our value from God. Peter, in one sense, wants them to know that they are not going through what they are going through living as foreigners by happenstance. Rather, it is because the divine Lord authored this. Verse 2 is structured in three propositional phrases that are linked with an adjective in verse one. Verse one, you see the idea though to those chosen. It is better understood as the chosen according, verse two, to the foreknowledge of God, the father by the Holy Spirit for the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Christ Jesus. Foreknowledge is deeper than real knowledge. It means simply this, that God knew you before there was a you. Before your mama and your daddy got together, God knew you. While you were still messing it up, God knew you. While you were making it rain, God knew you. God knew you based on foreknowledge to be sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Sanctified simply means that it's the Holy Spirit who touched your heart to help you see your sin and your need for a savior. That the Holy Spirit didn't merely feel, feel us to make us dance and to roll on the floor, but rather he set us aside for God's purposes. Sanctified by the Holy Spirit, obedience for obedience and the sprinkling of Jesus's blood. Peter says to them, God thought it, the Holy Ghost moved to bring it to you, to place you into obedience in Christ at the point of the cleansing by his blood. Hear me, friends, without the precious blood of Jesus Christ, your and my sins stand mounted over us taller than the Sears Tower, waiting to topple us over. But this isn't mere legalism that he's talking about where a person measures their holiness by what they do or don't do, but rather it is a life that is submitted to Jesus Christ completely. A person became a Christian by a verbal confession, Jesus is Lord, a statement that implied obedience. This is Peter's, and this is a person who believed the gospel and were submitted therefore to it. Why is Peter saying all this wonderful stuff? These are people who lost their jobs. These are people facing verbal attacks. These are people who are finding no justice in the street. These are people who found friends that turned against them. Peter wants to remind them who they belong to. They were not some random people floating hopelessly in time and space, but rather they belonged to someone. This isn't merely some sterile point written in the pages of a Frenchman 500 years ago, but rather, as Robert Smith would call it, this is doctrine that ought to make you dance. That when you consider the fact that according to God's foreknowledge and the power of the Holy Ghost, you've been cleaned by the blood of Jesus, what it tells you is that God sees you as precious, and valuable, not because of what you bring to the table, but because of how he sees you. Pawn shopping can be a fun thing, can't it? Mining through people's discarded goods, 
Sometimes, if you're persistent, you can find diamonds in the rough. This is what Leroy discovered in 2012. He went shopping one day at a Goodwill and saw a painting that was discarded. He was enamored by this painting, and so he purchased it for $3. He decided to have it appraised because he was suspicious that it may have some money value tied to it. To his surprise, Leroy discovered that this $3 painting that he brought at a Goodwill down the street from his house originated from a Flemish school in Amsterdam and was painted around 1650. The value of this painting that he got that was discarded by someone else that was paid $3 for was worth $200,000 and he sells it at auction for $190. While Leroy had discovered this painting that had value that no one else could see, God is trying to help you understand the value that you sometimes can't even find in yourself. You need to embrace the value that you have. You might be facing a serious situation where you don't know how your bills are going to get paid. You might be afraid because you have been furloughed on your job. You might be living and you don't know what tomorrow brings with this pandemic. You are afraid because you don't know what this political climate is going to present for us in the next several months. You might be living in a situation where people have downed you, dogged you, and talked about you like you were less than a scum on the street. You are not someone's discarded trash, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ and God loved you enough to move, it says that in God's eyes, your value is higher than even you can see. But sometimes, truth be told, you and I can feel dejected, cast aside, despised, unnoticed, as if God is looking over and past us. But you have got to recognize that God looks at you and he loves you deeply and he sees value on you. This is what he got you to, needs you to see. It is difficult to live as a foreigner in a familiar place when you feel like you ain't got no value. It's the reason why many are walking around screaming Black Lives Matter, because many black folks live in the world and feel like they have no value. But Peter wants you to see that for you to live as a foreigner in this familiar place renewal, you have got to know your value. You mean more than the boyfriend, girlfriend, or spouse that discarded you. You, you mean more than the self-deceptive lies you tell yourself in the mirror. You mean more than the, than the scripts you constantly repeat over and over to yourself. You mean more. In God's economy, you mean more because the blood of Jesus was enough to cover you. What Peter is trying to get his people to do and what I'm trying to encourage you to do is to live in this world as a foreigner in a familiar place. That as you go to work, you are a foreigner in a familiar place. As you sit on your Zoom calls, you are a foreigner in a familiar place. As you circulate in the circles that you circulate in, you are a foreigner in a familiar place. I'll close with W.E.B. Du Bois, who wrote in his famous classic, souls of black folks. He says that in America, black folks learn to live with this thing called double consciousness. 
as blacks. They live, speak, and relate as blacks. But as blacks in America, they must understand, speak, and live, and operate around white folks. In a much holier and higher way, God says that in this world, you're a Christian. And you have got to learn to live and navigate this world with a sense of double consciousness, not one where your patriotism means more than your religious affiliation, not one where your political associations or your civic affiliations or your family lineage or your income or your neighborhood or your wealth or alumni association does not dictate who you are, but you live in a place of double consciousness, one where the kingdom of God takes precedence and governs how you live in this world that you find yourself a citizen in. Renewal, I believe that for you to make it and to be efficient and effective in this world for the gospel, you, as well as my church, as well as every church that names the name of Jesus, has got to get back to living as foreigners in a familiar place. Because it's only when we're there that we get to see the power of God move in our cities, move in our neighborhoods, and we learn to live and operate as foreigners in a familiar place. Please let me pray for you. God in heaven, I thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you that you chose us because you loved us. Now, I pray, God, that you help us to live into this reality of being a foreigner in a familiar place. For people who feel left out, locked out, and left alone, God, that you, you would be with them and give them grace and strength. Hallelujah be your name. We praise you. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Renewal, happy anniversary. You be blessed. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 930 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.